Tina, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Oh, can you good hear evening. Me? Now I can hear you good loud evening, and clear. Thank so, you so much for having me. It's such a privilege to be here. I mean, this research that you do, um, Tina, is always looking at uh, the issues of poverty and inequality in our society. So clearly, you have adequate uh, facts around vulnerability of women financially um, and uh, how it links to gender-based violence. Please take us through that. So I think it's two parts. Um, not only are financially vulnerable women more susceptible to gender-based violence and rape, but also financially vulnerable men um, are more likely to become perpetrators of rape and gender-based violence because of their circumstance. So, for example, um, a statistic we look at is um, a survey conducted in Dipset which found that um, 56% of men admitted to raping or beating a woman in the past 12 months. Um, and this is double the average of 26.5 um, in a less densely poor area. So we can definitely see a correlation between poverty and the, the perpetration and also the experiencing of gender-based violence and rape. Sure. So money does play a role in both uh, those who are vulnerable and those who are perpetrators. So if this is the case, inequality is so high in our country, how can we fix it? So I think, first of all, it's, it's important to clarify that it's not necessarily that poor men are just naturally more abusive. Um, this is a really harmful assumption, and I think we need to give the situation more sociological context. So men are shaped by the society that they live in. Many of our men bear incredible trauma from apartheid, and then they are also continuously reminded of the patriarchal expectations placed on them. Um, so, for example, I'm sure, Patricia, you're familiar that um, many men in South Africa are pressurized to be breadwinners. That is what um, constitutes being a man, right? Um, and then we see that when men fail to meet these breadwinner expectations, as a result of our failing economy and soaring unemployment, they utilize gender-based violence to their dominance. So essentially, when men cannot fulfill the role that is placed on them, they try and assert dominance in other ways. Sure. And then uh, one of those ways then becomes uh, gender-based violence, leaving women uh, very vulnerable, whether it's a woman who's financially vi uh, viable and able to look after themselves or a woman who's vulnerable financially. Exactly. So what the research we've done at SPY um, proposes a basic income grant as a starting step to one day achieving um, gender parity. So um, the amount of 1,268 rand a month that would be delivered universally to South Africans between the age of 18 and 59 would give those women the opportunity to escape gender-based violence households um, and also just I know it seems like such a small, tiny, tiny, insufficient amount, but for a woman whose every financial move is dictated by her husband, this provides an out. Now, so I think it's really important to consider that as, a, as an important step. When you're considering this uh, basic income grant, uh, is it only for women or would it be um, equally for women and men? So a key characteristic of the basic income grant is that it's universal, right? So it would be men, women, anyone between the age of 18 and 59. Um, and 
this affects the two parts um, of the problem. So remember at the start I said that it's not just that poor women are more likely to experience gender-based violence, but poor destitute men are more likely to perpetrate it. And so by giving men this assured monthly income, you are granting them basic human dignity. And this promotes pro-social behavior. So pro-social behavior essentially means that because these people feel that they are a part of the society, that they are being treated as human beings, they behave in a dignified manner and are less likely to perpetrate rape, to beat their wives, to beat their girlfriends. Now, you know, already with the 350 rand uh, grant that is uh, coming into effect uh, due to the COVID-19 relief, that mm. is already not enough. Proposing uh, the 1,200 uh, grant, where will that money be coming from? I mean, you know, South Africans will be open to it, and I know it will keep the economy fluid because people will be able to buy. But where would the money come from if you are proposing such, uh, based on your research? So... At SPY, we've done a lot of research and a lot of economic modeling to provide for ways in which the government can provide for a basic income grant. Um, We know that we're on an austerity budget at the moment, but a basic income grant has the potential, and I would say it's the only solution, really, to regenerate this economy. Um, As you mentioned earlier, um, it gives people spending power. It gives these people basic human dignity to take part in the economy, to buy their basic needs. Um, yeah, so government has the money. We have showcased where government can get this money from, how it can be funded and utilized. And it has the potential to uplift our economy, to create a multiplier effect. Mm. So this would be something that would really help those who are unemployed. And uh, obviously, gender-based violence would possibly um, see a decline in South Africa. But do you think this is the only solution? Or this needs to be in uh, conjunction with other, um, um, you know, solutions that should be put in place? Yeah, so there's no silver bullet solution. With a problem as complex and ingrained in our society as gender-based violence, there is just no silver bullet solution. So we at SPY would suggest that a basic income grant is the starting step. It is possible, it is necessary, it needs to happen as soon as possible. But then also what we need, and I think it's important to, to tell the viewers what they can do. I know that often when I'm listening to things about gender-based violence or climate change, these huge problems, I feel like hopeless because I feel like there's nothing I can do and that it's all up to government. But what we need to do as individuals is reshape what it means to be a man. We need to have discussions with the men in our lives because when we promote unattainable or unhealthy ideals of masculinity, we are bound to create men that have detrimental behaviors. So, for example, um, we teach our men that to be a man, you must provide economically. You need to protect your family and you need to sexually conquest women, right? You need to have lots of women and lots of sex. Um, and this is so, so problematic because many men in South Africa cannot provide economically for their families. They can't even provide for themselves because of our dire economic climate. Then, when it comes to protecting their families, we have soaring crime rates, and they can't. You can't do that. And so then, they resort to sexually conquesting women without consent, because it is their only um, way to show that they are men. Mm, mm. So, so we need to have those conversations and teach our men that to be a man is to be wise and to be respectful. 
Let me go to Ngonde on the line. Eitima Ngonde, thank you for calling once again. Patricia, good. Um, then, Patricia, I'm not sure that I would agree with your guest, okay? I tell you what, as long as the causality of GBV is not addressed, right, the needle would not move at all. Because to me, there are three causalities, briefly, male domination, uh, gender stereotypes, and cultural practices. Once those have been sufficiently addressed, then the needle should move in this GPV. For example, for example, if we're talking basic income grant for women, right? Well, I'm not sure the needle will move either because currently the country's fiscals can, can ill afford that, all right? Unless, of course, we will run on foreign direct investments, you know, to help our women, okay? And if those women then move maybe from abject poverty, right, to relative poverty, but are, are sufficiently okay, in other words, they are financially emancipated, that point alone will cause men to feel emasculated, all right, and cause them to 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 beat women even more. In other words, this issue of GPV, Patricia, is a long-drawn process. It's problematic in our country for the basic income grant to address it. I'm saying the needle will move very slow. Patricia, good evening. Thank you very much, Ngonde. Tina, please weigh in on uh, Ngonde's comment. So he has a lot of very good points um, that I completely agree with. For example, in many Western countries, we see that when women um, become economically empowered and their corresponding husbands or boyfriends, their partners, are not economically empowered, gender-based violence increases because these men feel emasculated. So he's completely right about that. But what he missed was that a basic income grant is universal, so it would be afforded to men and women. There is this huge, um, I suppose, it's just a factual inaccuracy that we can't afford a basic income grant. I would say that we can't afford not to do it, and I would urge him to go and look at our research at SPI on the economic modeling and how we can afford it. Um, and then also... I think it's really important to note that this um, basic income grant is a starting point. At SPI, we recently um, did a, a DSL, which is a Decent Standard of Living Survey. So we basically asked South Africans what they regard as socially perceived necessities. And when you add that up, it comes down to the fact that um, each individual requires 7,326 rand a month to live um, a decent life. So the basic income grant is a starting point. It is by no means a silver bullet for gender-based violence, but it is a starting point for economic rejuvenation and a starting point to empower women and men to become pro-social, um, dignified human beings. Mm. Now, 
In order for us uh, to be able to lobby further for some of these uh, initiatives uh, to emancipate women and also mm-hmm. make sure that men's scars are are dealt with, you know, the scars that will cause them to 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 be violent. What should we be doing? Who should we be talking to? I mean, you do all this research at your organization, but uh, I think it's a community effort that will see us uh, rise up above gender-based violence. It's definitely a community a community effort. And I also, I would just urge men, too often it's women that are having these conversations. And that's why your listener, was so, it meant so much to me that he was a man, because we need men to talk to other men about this. In a patriarchal society where men value male opinions over female opinions, we need men to talk to each other. We need men to call each other out when they make rape jokes. Mm-hmm. We need to make gender-based violence um, a taboo because right now it is being normalized in our country and it is just going to get worse. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to lobby for it in our own communities, in our own houses, in our own friend groups. And and we need to ensure that we keep talking about it with our partners, with our families, with our friends. But what happens if, uh, you know, in a family setting or a friendship setting, there's a person who's constantly, you know, um, violating a woman or violating someone in the LGBTQI community? Mm-hmm. What should we be doing? I mean, sometimes we, we call the authorities and, and the victim just doesn't want to stand up. Or, you know, you call the authorities and the authorities don't come in time. Uh, so what should we do? Um, I think you've raised an important point because too often in our society, we put the burden on the victim. We say that you, the LGBTQIA person that has been um, been assaulted or insulted, it's your responsibility to stand up against that against that injustice. For the rape victim, it's her responsibility to go and report it. For the wife that has been abused, it's her responsibility to leave and report it. That's not true. It is our responsibility. If you can see an injustice happening and you are remaining silent about it, then you are part of the problem. You need to be standing up for those people that are falling um, victim to these rates of violence. Yeah, we, we, we really need to stand up. We really need to make sure that we raise a generation that is absolutely different. Um, exactly. And it's in our actions. It's in our actions. It's in our words. It's in the way yeah. we, you know, those those generalizations that are just not right <laughs> about exactly. men or women or people in the LGBTQI community. But I'm so well, glad. And we, also, mm-hmm. we also need to consider how much gender-based violence costs our economy. Um, yeah. We can't afford not to change this. Gender-based violence costs us over 1% of GDP per year. Um, We can't afford not to address it in our homes, in our government, you know? Sure. Yeah, it's it's not an easy one. Uh, I've got an A-team caller here. Um, okay, it doesn't seem like they are ready. I had Janine on the line, but uh, Janine has dropped the line. Now I've got Peter. Peter, A-team, good Thank evening. You. Good evening, Peter. Hello, hello, Patricia. Uh, I caught the tail end of this discussion more or less, but I must agree with your uh, guest there that uh, a basic income grant of about one two would go a very long way, not only to helping solve part of this problem, you know, either level the playing field, so to speak, but it will also greatly help the economy 
because these people will spend that money. And in spending that money, the manufacturers will have to make more in order to be able to have the goods to sell. So I quite agree with her there. There is another thing that bothers me, but I don't have the time to it, and I think it's close to 10. So on some other occasion, I'll talk about that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Peter. So Peter there is agreeing that uh, the basic, um, you know, grant, income grant, could make a huge difference. Um, However, it needs to be universal for both men and women who are unemployed between those ages that you've mentioned, 18 to 59. I... For me, when it comes to the basic income grant, yes, it's it's a good thing on the one hand. On the other hand, um, you know, we would need to make sure that there's no corruption uh, from the people who are beneficiaries, mm-hmm. that they still go out and look for jobs, meaningful um, and gainful income. And once they receive it, they let go of this particular grant, you know, opening mm-hmm. up for others. But mm-hmm. m- my question will still remain. How do we rehabilitate those who are perpetrating these crimes? So um, something really, really interesting. There was a, a basic income grant pilot program in Kenya. And in the first six months of this pilot program of a basic income grant, they saw a reduction in crime of 43%. Can you imagine what a reduction in crime of 43% would do for our economy? Wow. Um, it's, it's incredible. When you look at the facts, and the research and you listen to people that know what they are talking about, it is a no-brainer. Wow. So it is something yeah. that could definitely make a change. And uh, um, obviously, if a person is able to make an income for themselves, they are they, they, they think less about uh, frustrations. But obviously, those who are committing these crimes, women should be speaking up. Let's speak about the women just a bit um, who are victims, who are financially uh, vulnerable at this point in time. How do they get out of the state, uh, given the fact that there is no income grant currently in our country? Mm. They don't. They don't. Most of them leave in a casket um, or with absolutely nothing. Um, and that is the problem. When you give people a basic income grant, when you tell that woman that is abused every single night and beaten to a pulp by her husband, that she is going to be guaranteed 1,268 rand a month on her own, to her own name, you are giving her a lifeline. Mm. It, is a, it is a difference between life and death. And not only that, we're also seeing um, the, uh, what was it? The next crime data showed that women in South Africa are starving to protect their families from starvation. Yeah, yeah. Um, this basic income grant can change everything. It is just, it's so important. Sure. You know, Tina, I yeah. wish we had more time to talk about this. My heart is just uh, so um, wounded by this topic because, yes, gender-based violence is uh, a reality in our communities. And the, there are many root causes. Like you say, there's no silver bullet mm-hmm. to address it. But the one thing that could assist is a universal income grant for both men and women because men and women are facing challenges. It's not only yeah. the mm-hmm. woman, but it's men and women. How do we exactly. get in touch with you, Tina, for people who want to get go through your research? So I work at the Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute, that's HPII, and you can find all of our research available on our website. We are also releasing a paper, a very in-depth research paper on the basic income grant and its feasibility in South Africa in the coming um, weeks. 
So you can find it on our website. We're active on all social media. Um, reach out to us. I know, um, I think your one guest, Peter, said that he has a, a bone to pick with me. So he's welcome to find my email address on the site and we can talk about it. Excellent. Thank you so very much for joining us. Have a good evening. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Goodbye.